Welcome to the History of North America. I'm Mark Vinette. In the early 17th century, an aged veteran of Spain's wars against the Ottoman Empire published a book. It was the story of a poor nobleman who deludes himself that he is a knight-errant and sets off on hilarious adventures. Don Quixote is a fictional character made famous by the Spanish author Miguel de Cervantes. This Spanish epic novel of the early 1600s went on to be read around the world in Spanish and most other languages, making its author one of the most read writers in human history. The story's influence on North American literature is immeasurable. Such admiration is displayed by a life-size statue of Don Quixote de la Mancha and his faithful sidekick Sancho Panza that sits at the bottom of a rock cliff in Guadalajara, Mexico. Let's join Not Just the Tudors podcast to explore Miguel de Cervantes' life and the world he lived in, how his influences converged in his work, and how Don Quixote radically changed the nature of literature and created a new way of viewing the world, including North America. In 1605, at 58 years old, Spanish writer Miguel de Cervantes would see the first part of his masterwork, The Ingenious Gentleman Don Quixote of La Mancha, published. Along with its second part, published in 1615, the novel would become a near-instant success. This is a fascinating look at the first ever novel. Professor Egginton, the character of Don Quixote inspired by Cervantes' own disappointment, his own regret, but he's channeling that into this amazing literary character. Yeah, into this character whose great comic moments often happen precisely when he's misinterpreting the world. So what Don Quixote does that's different, and this goes to the heart of what I say was required for something like what we understand to be fiction, to be invented, to be created, to become as powerful as it was today, is that Don Quixote is not a book that simply takes accurate snapshots or pictures of the world. What it does is it takes pictures of how people picture the world, and then it compares those. And that, by necessity, leads to explorations of where people get things wrong, how we go about getting things wrong. But in order to create that series of images to compare, using words to do so, it necessarily produces what we now, as readers and experiencers of modern fiction, experience as character depth experience as moments of blindness, where we can see the way a character sees and experience the horizons of that character's inability to understand the situation that he's gotten or she's gotten herself into, and at the same time, divide ourselves and can see from a different perspective, aha, this is the situation that this character's gotten him or herself into. And those distinctions, those different frameworks, and at times in teaching this novel, my students and I have counted up to seven very complex inter- laced and interacting levels of distinction between frame, interior frame, these kind of telescoping frame situations that Cervantes creates. That kind of telescoping interior depth is what we now interpret as getting a character and all of its complexity right, understanding the deep psychology of characters. And what you see early in the 17th century, so 400 plus years ago, is in one kind of extraordinary creative moment, one author getting all of those tropes into one book, giving us the platform from which modern understanding of characters in fictional worlds can develop. 
What kind of writing would Cervantes himself have read then? Does his style speak at all to that literary inheritance or is it something wholly new that he's doing? It's absolutely a work of synthesis, a work of reflection. He was an absolute polymath when it came to reading. As far as we can tell, somewhat of an autodidact. He definitely got some schooling as the child in an itinerant family looking around in this kind of newly expansive economy of Spain in the middle of the 16th century. He knew the plays of Terence. He definitely learned Latin, the Commedia dell'arte from Italy. He had read all of the works of popular fiction that Don Quixote is ostensibly there to skewer, which are the romances of chivalry. He knew all of those by heart. So he knew the popular literature of his time. He knew the theater, which was the most important innovation in Spain culturally. This was in one century or in less than a century, what had been a courtly, highly what we would consider to be very stilted entertainment. And on the other, a popular kind of raucous form of street entertainment. These had come together to form a popular theater that had penetration of up to 90% of the urban population going to theaters that were set up. Unlike in case of England, these were really not constructed, but rather pieced together from interior courtyards and cities so that relatively wealthy people with their apartments would sell to other wealthy people the front rows from their windows to look out into the courtyard to see what was created and then these became semi-permanent spaces for this extremely popular art form. And Cervantes, he was not only an avid reader, he loved going to the theater. He describes going to popular rural pop-up theater when he was growing up. And the lessons of how to build a character on stage with little more than a board and a curtain pulled across it, if even that, and some good narration and some good poetry, this sunk in deep. So this was also another one of the literary influences that led to his creation. In fact, one of the things that I argue is the depth of his characterizations and precisely that relief that he creates between background and characters conceptualized as almost masks that one steps into and then shares the limitations of you have to see out through those characters' eyes, as it were. All of this comes very much from his incorporating the art of the theater into narrative form, because ultimately what he became extremely good at was narrative. But he tried his hand at absolutely everything, including theater, and wrote a selection of plays and published a selection of plays, I think it was around 1613, a couple years before he died, that he called Eight Comedia, which are the longer plays and eight interludes never to be represented, which was another little joke. But he actually wrote theater that he intended people to read and to think about the very art of theater. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-218-6010. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-218-6010. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-218-6010. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. So he's very much drawing from that experience of seeing drama in terms of creating narrative. And is he also turning the kind of chivalric romances that he would have read on their head? 
Very much so, because he claims, which is a little bit disingenuous, or maybe even a lot disingenuous, that the only purpose in writing Don Quixote, and he creates these interior characters who continue to spit forth this ostentation on his part, the only purpose is ridiculing the awful literature of the century before him. There's these ridiculous stories of knighthood, and he insists on this, and we're very obviously not to take his word for it whatsoever. Although, I have to say, generations of scholars have said, this must be what it means, because Cervantes tells us this is what it means. But of course, you can't take Cervantes seriously, ever, under any circumstance. And so, yes, he is turning the world on its head. The world is represented in books, but it's much deeper, more interesting what he's doing. In fact, he's taking the values that are predominant, that are being broadcast, that are being pumped into people by the society of his time, the values of honor, but not, Cervantes would say, real honor, not honor like valor and sticking by one's words, the very empty honor of the honor code, which had to do with proving something which is completely unprovable, which is the sexual purity of the women in your family and the fact that your ancestry doesn't have a stain, a taint of Jewish or Muslim blood in it, that you come from old Christian background, which was completely unprovable. And so all of this created a spirit of paranoia at the time. And what Cervantes' brilliant move was to say the kind of values that we're investing in with such extraordinary pathos are basically the equivalent of these silly myths of Christian romance. And believing in the one is the same as believing in giants and believing in wizards and everything else like that. But he couldn't come out and say that, but you could put it into something like fiction. And that's what he was doing. So can I talk a little bit about classification with you and press on this word fiction? Because we're thinking about Quixote as a novel when 17th century Spain doesn't have such a term for prose fiction. And Cervantes, although you have just told me not to take anything he said seriously, but he called it an historia or a history. So he's sort of aligning the work with something real as opposed to something artificial. Is it fair to say there's something essentially true about Don Quixote? I think Cervantes knew that there was something essentially true about it. But he is, of course, just as you're indicating in your question, he's playing games with the distinctions between history, historia, which is in Spanish telling a story, una historia, but history also means our word for history, historia. And he, in very famous passages that, in fact, years or centuries later, Jorge Luis Borges will also borrow and make fun of in his own book about a man who tried to rewrite the Quixote verbatim without ever actually copying it. Pierre Menard, author of the Quixote. The passages that Borges compares are ones in which Cervantes is precisely playing that distinction between history, something else, poetry, which would be the opposing term in Aristotle's poetics, which Cervantes, of course, knew very well, and something new that's coming out of this mixture, this fusion between the truth of history and what Aristotle had called the kind of deeper, greater philosophical truths of something like poesis. Because that's what Aristotle wrote, and that's what in the translations and commentaries of Aristotle came through ultimately to Cervantes, is that history tells facts the way they occurred. Poetry doesn't necessarily correspond to something that really happened per se, but has the potential of telling a greater truth. And what Cervantes is doing is, by what he says, everything that you're reading here is absolutely true, and yet puts those words in the mouth of a character who is absolutely and obviously not a real character. What Cervantes is doing is getting to something new, which is fiction, a kind of truth, you could call a subjective truth, a truth about how 
characters inhabit the world and inhabit their own perspectives on the world and necessarily over and over again fall into both disputes with other characters interpreting the world who have different experiences, but also over and over again get their ideas about the way reality should be found around the shoals of how reality actually is. I would actually make the argument that, especially with a good and relatively recent and up-to-date translation of Don Quixote into English, very readable, really captures some of the flow and wit and speed of the original. Yes, the book is still very funny today. You don't get all of the jokes. You really don't. But you don't need to because he has so many damn jokes. And it's not just jokes. He creates situation comedy. And give you just one. The character decides at some point that he really has to rival the great knights that he's reading about. And so he decides and he declares to Sancho that he's now going to perform his greatest deed. And that his greatest deed is going to be to go crazy over the loss of his lady love, Dulcinea. And the reason he's going to do this is because Ronaldo, also Orlando, Orlando Furioso, also did this. But he, because of course then Sancho says, but Dulcinea hasn't abandoned you. In fact, Dulcinea, we've never even seen her before. So how could you possibly know that she's abandoned you? And Quixote then pauses and he says, therein, Sancho, lies the brilliance of my ploy. Because if Orlando achieved greatness for having gone crazy for a reason, how much cooler is it going to be when I go crazy for no reason whatsoever? This is funny, I would argue. If you're not laughing when you're reading that, it doesn't matter if it's 2023 or 1605. This is very funny. And yeah, you get a little bit of context, but you don't need it. Check out the YouTube version of this episode, which has accompanying images. I'm Mark Vinette. And I hope you're enjoying the ride. Doctors endorse it, nutritionists recommend it, and customers love it. Calotrin Healthy Weight Loss. Ron in Texas lost 35 pounds. Marie in Pennsylvania lost 117 pounds with Calotrin. Diane not only lost weight, but she also found relief from arthritis. Lynn lost over 45 pounds. Calotrin contains collagen, the most abundant protein naturally occurring in the human body, which decreases as we age. Taking Calotrin promotes better sleep, more energy, less joint pain, and best of all, weight loss. Calotrin has an amazing 86% success rate with their 90-day supply. And this week, take advantage of their President's Day sale. Buy the 90-day supply and get an extra month free plus free shipping. Ordering is so easy. Just text the word HISTORY to the code 30605 and we'll send you a link to this special offer. Again, Text history, that's H I S T O R Y, using the code 30605.